Up next on Episode 38 of Stack Overflow, Joel and Jeff discuss why slow, optimizations for large websites, the value of unit testing, and the hidden pitfalls of asking questions to programmers from IT Conversations. Hi, this is Phil Windley. Today I'm excited to bring you another great program from Stack Overflow with Joel Spolsky and Jeff Atwood here on IT Conversations. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. And now, here's Stack Overflow. Receive packet loss 5%. Yeah, that's what the system is we're talking about earlier. Huh. Um, something is wrong with our network provider, obviously, and they were just blaming it on the inauguration. Mm-hmm. Friggin' racists. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so they, 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 just, they, they got so many calls about the, their pro- the problems that they were having that they just yep. attributed to the, that they just ignored them all. And so finally in the afternoon, they started responding to the people that called back again. I see. So we were, we were unable to watch the inauguration in the Fog Creek office as planned. We were going to watch it on Hulu on the big screen because we don't have any kind of TV. Here, so that was a failure. So most people uh, went down to the New York Stock Exchange where they had put out a big gigantic screen uh, to watch it, to project it in front. There was Isn't it pretty cold there, though? There. It's, uh, it's pretty cold. Uh, yeah. Uh, 15, 20 degrees. Yeah. But, so I was looking at some of the pictures of the inauguration, and it looked really chilly. Yeah. <laughs> it's been really warm here. <laughs> I know. Did you, did you always <laughs> live in... It was like 50, 60 degrees. We were like taking a walk in our shorts and stuff. It was nice. Have you always lived in California? No, I haven't. I moved here in 2005, so before that, I lived in Denver. Oh. Well, actually, no, North Carolina, then Denver. Okay. So you know what cold weather is like. I do. I do. Although Denver is not as cold as people think it is. It's actually uh, fairly warm most of the time. It sounds really cold, but it's not. If you're in the mountains, it's a different deal, but it's in a bowl. Hmm. It's actually not that, not that cold, surprisingly. A bowl. Yeah. Like a bowl of fruit. <laughs> there were some smog problems because of the bowl effect. The mountains, the ring Denver, that was the only downside. But Denver has a fantastic climate. Actually, that's probably my favorite climate I've lived in. It's really nice. You had seasons, but it never really got too hot or too cold. Yeah. It's really quite, really quite nice. We had in Albuquerque. I thought Albuquerque and Denver were sort of similar. Albuquerque had definitely had snow every winter. You had to put on a coat. Yeah, it might be. So what are we going to talk about this week? I have a few things, uh, Stack Overflow-related things we can talk about. Just okay, cool. Progress. Yeah, let's talk about that. We may have listener calls, but I haven't actually previewed any of them, unfortunately. Ooh, I didn't do my preparation. That would be exciting. We can play those and just see, uh, just see what comes up, <laughs> because I was just busy right. all day uh, dealing with, uh, I don't know what. I know. That's, that reminds me of my days. I get to the end, I'm like, I get lost. <laughs> like, what did I even do all day? I don't even remember. It's really sad. Anyway. Oh, we got a whole list. We got a bunch of questions. One, two, three. You know what? What we'll do is we'll take some of the ones where people just wrote in instead of the voicemail. Okay, um, that's fine. So one bit of news I have to mention is that I did I did hire Jeff Dalgas again this month because he was available. Cool. Uh, and I needed to make some more progress on some of the other key features. Some of the top items in our user voice list were not getting done, and I blame me. So What's Jeff he, is, yeah. is coming on to help with that for one month only. What kind of what kind of features are we going to get? <laughs> well, he's working on the uh, recent activity thing. So when you come back to the site. It'll give you a page, uh, sort of a whole new area of the site that'll show you exactly what happened while you were gone. To the stuff that you should care answers. about. Yeah. yeah, to your stuff. This is what happened to you, what other people did to your stuff while you were gone. That'd be cool. Whereas the, the user page is primarily sort of a breadcrumb of things you've done. It's like your path through the system. Right. This is the other way around. <clears throat> we're really fleshing that out. We had a tab called Responses yeah. on the user page, which is kind of like that, but this is like that feature on like major steroids um, it'll show you a bunch of stuff about your rep, how your rep changed, which, again, comes from other people's votes, right? That'll be really um, useful. And then the other thing we are working on, people ask for this a lot. I was very skeptical of this, but we're going to do it. Um, if you make a comment on a post, 
people wanted to see all the comments downstream of their comment. In other words, mm-hmm. you've become a part of this conversation, even though you didn't write the post. Right. You don't care about other comments on other parts of the thing. You just care about... Yeah. Uh-huh. That's right. And they may not technically have responded to you, but we're going to try to do that. That might be a little weird query-wise. You know, there's something really cheesy, but you know how, like, every time... Yeah, you probably know this. You post something somewhere, and you keep, like, want, you just can't wait to get some feedback on it. Positive, negative. Right. You just want to see what people say. Right. You're, like, checking the comments every 10 minutes, and you're looking on Reddit to see if anybody's submitted <laughs> it. No, only you do that, Joel. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm totally unique that way. And... uh the lesson to be learned is like when you have a team that you're trying to lead, everybody that works for you is doing stuff and would just love some of that feedback, like that instantaneous feedback. I'm like, hey, I noticed you did this thing. That was good or bad right. or anything, any kind of feedback. Right. And, you know, that's a completely free way you can make your employees happy. Cost nothing. Well, but it takes it, it takes infinite attention, though, too. I mean, it yeah. depends how many employees you have. And <laughs> well, I mean, but, but that's if the you're, advantage of putting stuff out into the world, there's a lot more people to potentially pay attention to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, but so if, if you have a, on, I'm just thinking, if you're a manager of a team and you have a morale issue, you can either take everybody to Six Flags and that costs, you know, money, <laughs> or you can just look at what they're doing and comment on it. You know, just, just go in there and say, hey, written any new code lately? <laughs> and look at it. Right. And say, that oh, was yeah, really good. Oh, yeah, usually on small teams like ours, it's really... Uh, I don't know what the right word is. It's not even an Bad issue. It's not even not an issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to like look at everything. This way. You, for, for one, you know, you can look at every check-in to the source uh, to version control because you know it's, it's, it's there aren't that many. <laughs> but uh, but on some level, uh, you're right. It does bear repeating. I mean, if you're working with somebody and you're not paying attention to anything they're doing, that really is kind of kind of rude and borderline, like what, what's called in people where like team aside, when mm-hmm. you like all you care about is your own stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then that's kind of uncool, right? I mean, the whole reason of working on a team is to, you know, explore what other people are doing and, like, why are you even there if you don't care right. what other people are doing? So the only place it breaks down, is, uh, as I wanted to point out, is when you have a large team, <laughs> then you have an attention deficit there. But no, you, I mean, that's point. why you have middle managers, I guess, right? They, that's their job. Somebody to pay attention to you. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're paying somebody just to sit there and pay attention to you all day long. Yeah. We, I mean, I bring <laughs> this up because... Well, you could have the world do it for free. I mean, that's sort of the way Stack Overflow works, you know. Uh, yeah. No, but I mean, like, let's say you're a programmer at Fog Creek. You write some code. You want to hear some feedback on it. You know, you've done some work. You want to get some feedback. That's fair. Sure. No, I think it's basic fundamental need, and I totally agree with that. So uh, how do we get off on this? Oh, uh, right. Jeff Dalgis <laughs> is oh, right. doing some Responses. stuff Right. So this is a way for you to come back yeah. and see what other people have, have said, have, how they have reacted to what you have done. Um, and it kicks in like if you've been off the site for a certain amount of time, uh, it'll it'll give you a notification. Say, hey, we see you haven't been here in a day since you were here, and I'll give some summary. Oh, you had five new answers posted or whatever. Oh, it's it going to be one of those orange things, the bar, yeah. linking to it. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. And then when you click on it, it'll have a page that shows you. That'll be fun. Time. That's like you've got mail, right? You come back to Stack Overflow, and there'll it be is. an orange thing, and you'll be like, ooh. It is. I'm it's a really important feature. It's a really important feature. Um, and I'm glad we're finally getting into it, courtesy of Jeff. Yay, us. Uh, the, other thing, the other thing that we're working on that we did recently was, you know, Yahoo has their uh, – uh, they have a bunch of tools. Are you familiar with the Why Slow tool? Uh, it makes Yahoo really slow. <laughs> <laughs> no, they don't need a tool for that. <laughs> yes. Well, oh, they need a presidential you know inauguration. Do you know it or not? You don't uh, know. Uh, I, I know it by reputation only that it's okay. a tool that you use to find out. As long as you've heard of it, that's how all you can. Like, well, but tell, but tell the listeners. <laughs> right. So YSlow is a tool. If, if you run a humongous website. Now, one thing about YSlow, you have to realize it's kind of biased towards sites like as big as Yahoo. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it gives you advice. It's actually a plugin that runs in Firefox. Uh, and it gives you a whole – you can run it on any web page. And it will give you a whole bunch of like guidelines for ways you can make the page load a lot faster. Huh. And I guess they obviously use this internally at Yahoo to speed up their page. Uh, and it's a really neat tool. Uh, the only And I had a blog post about this a while back, sort of going over what the tool does and why it matters and why it doesn't matter. But you have to bear in mind that it really is intended for large-scale websites. And it'll give you some advice that will be basically crazy. Like if you have a blog mm-hmm. or something that's you know just moderate traffic, like normal human being-level traffic, even like – you've got to realize Yahoo is like a top-ten website, right? Right. 
they're getting traffic that's like orders of magnitude more than you're ever well, going to get. Well, on, on parts care. of it, on parts of it. But other I mean, even Joel and I, it's like not even close, right? It's like, yeah. I get uh, about but, half the traffic of Yahoo, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> With that caveat in mind, it, re- it gives you some really good basic advice about how to speed things up. Um, and one of the pieces of advice it gives you that I've always done ever since I read it was that you can set an explicit header value on, uh, say, images and things on your website that don't change. Mm-hmm. So that, and I believe it's called uh, content expires. I have to double check the name of the header. That's the but, usual uh, ca- uh, ca- caching thing where you tell people downstream to cache your thing. For right, you're telling the browser to cache it. Yeah. And it truly does in the sense that it will never even check for a new version. Like it literally will not check. Now, obviously, this is really dangerous <laughs> if you have stuff that actually changes. Right? Well, you just the change the name of the image. You just change well, the name of the image. That's where I'm or going. Or you put like that's a question mark after it with some, some other thing that says, hey, this could not be possibly be right. Right. That's where I'm going. So you might say, well, what difference does it make, Jeff? You could just have a bunch of resources that aren't changing. Say your CSS follow, for example. Let's take that as an example. It's only like, I don't know, 20 kilobytes, 30 kilobytes, not that much. Yeah. So the browser normally will request it, and it'll come back 304, not modified. Okay. So what, sometimes what people will say is like, well, what's the difference between doing one request that comes back as 304, not modified, and not doing that request at all? And the answer is that uh, in the Lately. aggregate, it does add up. I mean, you're, these requests take time. It's not just know, the aggregate. It's the, uh, it's the latency. You've got to wait to get the response. Although with the CSS pages, I'll just show it to you anyway. That's right. Well, there's a parallelization thing that, that go on in the background that's part of the design. It's like you want to design your site so that parallelizes you're, you're, really well. Yeah, your browser, uh, I believe these days browsers by default only will have two connections open to a given site. So if you've got but 18 pictures, it's gonna, it's, it can download two of them at once. Right. But if it's waiting on one of those connections to see if the CSS um, style sheet has been modified, then that could be blocking some other picture from arriving until it's decided that it's just not going to get that that page. That's right. And right. the core piece of advice here, which is obviously solid, is the fastest work at all is work you don't have to do. Ooh, <laughs> In other words, if the browser deep. doesn't even request the file, yeah, just then smoke you're, a you're doing really well. Joints. So we, we use this on Stack Overflow. So for static content like JavaScript and CSS and uh, images and things like that, we actually set this header. Uh, content expires like two, I think, two days or something like that. But the problem we run into is when we start deploying the code, like we actually change those files. Images? Uh, we had to actually... Style well, sheets. Some, sometimes the images. Usually it's the style sheet and the JavaScript. Well, here's what to do. Set it up. Seriously, this will work. Well, first of all, there's something about style sheets. Somebody, maybe one of our listeners can call in and tell me what I'm getting wrong here. But I, I have noticed that um, if you just leave everything, if you configure your web server in the most default way possible, right, you don't change anything, and you have just a generic off-the-shelf web browser, I have noticed that you can change the files, you can change the images, and you can change the text, and they will show up in the browser. But if you change the style sheet, it won't show up in the browser until the user actually clicks refresh. Even if they close their browser and reopen it, they'll still be if – if the style sheet has been cached, I don't even think they check for, for that 304. So I don't know what I'm missing here. But do but, uh, you remember that phenomenon where, where people would be like, oh, I'm changing the style sheets around here, so hit you know, Control-Shift-Meta-Super-Extra-Refresh if you're not getting the new style sheets. You know that? Remember that phenomenon? Right. I, 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 and and uh, I don't know why that is, and I think – I suspect that it just seems like someone, and I guess it's the browsers, maybe it's Apache or IIS, but I think it's the browsers, are just more aggressive about caching CSS than anything else. Well, I think you hit on the right answer, which is, I think it's, it's correct to do this. The, this part of the, the why slow advice, set this uh, header okay. so that the browser doesn't make these requests, is valid advice, but, but you have to But I think that the, the browser, for CSS, I think that the browser is, just not, it doesn't even try. It's like, eh, I have a CSS file. I'm not no, going to look. I think, it, I think it does. I don't know. I think I'd have to dig into that a little further. So why are they always telling people to hit control refresh? I don't get it. Okay, so maybe our listeners well, know. probably because this, they don't understand how this header works. I mean, if they are setting this header and they don't understand, you have to literally change the file. No, I'm not talking about anybody button. setting any headers anywhere. I'm talking about like Joel on software. I put some files on a server and the web server is sharing them. They're all static files. There's no it header work. setting. I mean, in my experience, it does work. So somewhere somebody doesn't expire this. Yeah, okay, we don't know the answer to that. However, um, there's an easy way to make something expire from the cache, which is um, you can set it up. You can do this using your version control system, basically. You have a revision number, right? Every generation has its revision number. Every time you check something in, that goes up. 
Mm-hmm. If That's it's right. uh, subversion. Okay, so what you do is you put uh, the this, the name of the CSS file, and then you put a question mark, and then you put that number. Well, that's that's exactly what we did. You read you read my <gasps> mind, Joel. That's I know. So that means anytime <laughs> you've changed the code, you invalidate everybody's cache automatically. That's right. Uh, for all this, we, we, there's uh, one place that we're doing this, which is we also uh, hook into the pipeline. We're actually using the uh, the Yahoo uh, compressor. Have you heard about this? It it takes JavaScript and CSS and makes it minifies it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's written in Java, so we actually shell out to Java. I'm almost process. certain that we use some kind of minifier like that. Yeah. Yeah. We no, this is really smart there. to do it because they've really done all the work for you and they like do bug fixes and it works really well. Uh we had there's a .net port as well. We had bad luck with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh so I can't really recommend that, but the Java version works fine. You just have to obviously have Java installed on your server, which is no big deal. Oh, and but only the build, for the only when you build. Yeah, only when you part build. Of the build. Yeah. At the time you do a build, it minifies the files, the the CSS and the JavaScript, and right after that in the build script, it inserts what you described, which is question mark uh, v equals and then the revision number from subversion mm-hmm. on the files. So we don't have to remember because prior to this point, we had to like literally go in and if we change the JavaScript, remember to change in the template <laughs> right. the file name so that we got a new version. Occasionally, we would forget. and It's just one of those things you want to automate. So Jared did that, and I'm very happy about that. There's another, uh, if you use jQuery, there's, a, there's this other theory, which is that it will be faster if you get the jQuery hosted by Google. Right. Instead of having your own copy of jQuery on the server that you get. And I, I agree with that. Have you heard of that? Um, there, are two, there are two benefits for that. Number one benefit is that your browser will only open two connections back to your host, but it will open another connection to Google if it needs to. So it can happen. Um, it can be downloaded at the same time as other things are being downloaded. And the other benefit is that Google will keep their cache. You know, Google will set a super um, long uh, ex- expiration time on that thing, and there's a high probability that somebody has been to some other website that uses jQuery that they got from Google. And right. so they may already have in their cache for some class of people. Right. I looked at that, and I was all hot to trot, because the, the theory is sound. And that's another thing that Wyslow will tell you, is split your request across multiple domains. Mm-hmm. And the trick here is domain could be your own domain. Like, I set up a domain called i.stackoverflow.com. And it's the and, same domain and it has the images. But the browser will treat it for the purposes of making more connections. Yeah. It will treat it as another domain. So that's another tricky way to get around that is just have subdomains that alias to the same domain and pull all your images from i.yourdomain.com. So I do agree with that. Now, in the specific case of, of jQuery, we have packages that we've put together, which is like groups of functionality that are commonly used together. And jQuery happens to be in one of our packages called master, which is the one that's served on every page because we use it so many different places. Hmm. So for us, that wouldn't really work. So it would be another request out to Google. Where, you know, there's a question of like combining all your stuff into one request mm-hmm, rather mm-hmm. than making three or four. Yeah. Um, and that would be just yet another request because we just jQuery is just in the middle of master. So that's one reason we haven't done that. But I am for that. And I think if you're using jQuery and you're not packaging like we are, you should definitely outsource the retrieval of jQuery to Google because why not? It'll just make your site faster for everybody. Here's another thing that not enough people do. I guarantee you're not doing this. Um, nobody ever thinks of this one, but it's one of my favorites. Um, you can take all the images, all the little images that you use on a page, like the icons and the arrows and the click here and all the, all the, mm-hmm. all the little tiny images that you have, and even some of the big ones, and using your favorite, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Image editing program, like a Photoshop. Um, make, one big, make one big image out of all of them. It's just like right. a big mosaic of everything. And then you just fetch that once, and you use CSS to carve out the piece of the image that you want in every different place on the page. Right. Um, so that would be like, like where, where I would use that on Stack Overflow is you got a whole bunch of like little gray, orange, and yellow uh, dots you got that. You don't have that many images, actually. You got a little RSS image. We got that CC Wiki image at the bottom. Uh, what other images do we have? We don't have that many pa- images on Stack Overflow, actually. We got a no, star. Stack Overflow is very image like. You got the star. Um, so those those five things. Even even if you just took the stars and the and the and the bullets and stuff, make those into one image, and that's like fewer. And where this really pays off, it, I've noticed. Uh, you know, a lot of people have like a little. Um, oh, I know the editor. The um, yeah. 
the 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 toolbar on the editor. You got a bold and italic, uh, hyperlink, block quote. You know that one, right? Those are all separate images, right? Well, so it's, it's funny that you mentioned this because and you can tell because if you hit if you hit Control R and and you and you download, you see those images arrive one at a time, right? And so uh, um, we actually uh, in the wiki and Fogbugs, um, in order to do that toolbar, we just have one big strip, download it all, and then we cut it up later. Right. Well, that's actually what what Dana's working on right now. Well, we this is one of the major things we want to what because no, he is. He's working on what's it. going on. Am I just totally reading your mind? And this is the second time I told you to no. do something, and you're like, yeah, in I fact. let you go because you were talking about what I was going to talk about anyway. But yeah, CSS spriting is what it's called. Oh, and whenever you have a bunch of tiny images that you're they have a down, name for it, it now? to be related. I don't know if I would do it unless you're super optimized. I, I think I would only do it if there were a bunch of related images. Like the toolbar buttons is a really obvious one uh, because there's no reason you should make eight to ten requests just to get eight to ten tiny little toolbar buttons. You can see ridiculous. it in real time. You can see the toolbar go... Right. And if you don't, it just goes... Yep. Yep. I don't know if I would do it globally, but certainly for related no. things, you should. And it's called CSS spriting. And I'll link wow, it in the show notes on how name. to do it and stuff. But Dana's been working on that. Cool. Um, yeah, that's one of the major things I wanted to get out of the editor because that's we serve the editor on almost every single page. So that's a pretty serious optimization for us to do that better. Um, the old days of uh, in uh, uh, when did we do this? I, I, I think I learned this technique in Windows programming, like for Windows programming, where instead yeah. of having a bunch of resources with a bunch of little images, and now we're talking about just getting your own resources out of the executable file. Wow! You would just grab the image once, and you just you just display it at different offsets with different uh, uh, batting rectangles, and then you just have the one image that, that you stamp around. And actually, like the cost of actually going and getting something out of a resource in an executable file, you know, this is like this guy and doing it sequentially for a bunch of them was slower than just grabbing the one big one. Well, it's hard to imagine that being. I mean, the web has to be like several orders of magnitude slower than even yeah, like a yeah, 46. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, uh, the, the people used to have to optimize because these things were slow. I mean, if you go, I don't know if they still do this, but if you went and looked at the uh, executable file uh, for you know Microsoft Excel or something, pop open and pop open your favorite XE and in, in your favorite uh, IDE, namely Visual Studio. And since it's an XE, it the only thing it'll know how to do is show you the resources and go look at those image resources, and I think you'll see. Probably a bunch of big pallets full of images instead of a bunch of little tiny individual images. That was fun. I remember the, the old days when I used to like go looking through executables for like icons and resources and just see what kind of stuff they had in there. Mm-hmm. You know that you could sort of steal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for your own nefarious uses. Mostly, I would do this on the Windows resources, trying to find icons yeah. for programs. And, and that's a lot of times that's how you found the Easter eggs, right? Because they had to have the, the Easter egg always had some kind of image associated with it. You'd be like, "Wait a minute, <laughs> I've never right. seen that in the app." Right. It uses a dirty word and looks like a. Well, I, I, uh, never mind. <laughs> yes, you can also do a similar thing with strings. Um, in fact, I think uh, sure. Process Explorer, that sysinternals tool, one of the little tabs on that, it's odd, but if you go to one of the tabs on that, for any process, it'll just dump every string it can find hmm. in the uh, whatever process is running. Yeah, there's a y- traditional Unix command line utility called strings that will do that hmm. for a file. It'll just look for things that look like strings. Right. So that sort of summarizes some of the things that went on. Those are all sort of optimization related, because I, I do like to keep speeding up the site. I feel like but the site is once we're speedy. Tra- go ahead. Isn't the site plenty speedy? Nobody ever has time for this stuff because they're always like, well, if it was slow, then we would work on this. But the site is – Stack Overflow is really fast. I know, but I want it to be really, 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 really fast. I, I don't know. I just Speed to me is really important. And plus, I don't know. Speed is a feature. I think the, the faster yeah. it works, I think the more people are going to want to go there. It's one of the, I think it's really underutilized. I think people pawn it off as like – fast enough, but I don't think they appreciate... I think Google did a bunch of work on this, where they found that if the page took, took like, I don't know, some ridiculous, ridiculously small additional amount of time to load, like, traffic went down, like, some percent globally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I believe that. Like, I believe the faster you can be, the more traffic ultimately you're going to get, because people will see you as convenient. I remember that was the reason I... I'm sure we've talked about this, but that was one of the main reasons I switched to Google, was like, wow, it's super fast, you know? Yeah. I can get these results back. Even if they suck, I can get them back super fast. I finally Somehow asked, there's a yeah. value in crap results coming back faster. Feels better. <laughs> there was a site I was using as my calendar uh, air set, which I finally just gave up on because it was just always too slow. Like even under the best of conditions, it would take 30 seconds to show you a page. 
which is a shame. It's amazing. It started out fast, but yeah. A lot of commercial websites are really slow. A lot of stuff I click on, it's just, you're just scratching your head going, why do they consider this an acceptable load time? (laughs) Yeah, they may not know, you know what I mean? True. They may not have noticed. Because yeah, but it's, you know, it's it, fast it, for them. <laughs> in, in the it office. is absolutely a design goal at Stack Overflow. And once we get these new servers together, um, it's going to be even faster. Because how, that's are gonna, easy how are you going to move? Improvement. How are you going to move to a new server in a different city without a lot of downtime? Uh, well, the only key piece that needs to come down is really the database, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the code and stuff and the software we can all pre-deploy. And the database right now, 7-zipped, which is the best compression you can use at the moment, within reason, um, is like, I think it's like a 500 meg file. Oh, so you're so, going to have to transmit a 500 meg file, too. Yeah. Hey, why don't you do this? You're going to think I'm crazy. What? If you really don't want to have any downtime, I don't know how much it matters, but the, 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 you could, uh, the, two things. One, bring up the web host on the new data center. And just have it going over the internet to the database, which will be slow, but it'll be possible. Wow, that would be really slow. Yeah. Well, I don't think that would work too well. But anyway, go ahead. Well, what I was going to say is the way you move the database is uh, not to, to take the whole database file and zip it, but to take the uh, to, to do a full backup, um, transfer the backup, and then when you're ready to move, do a differential backup. You basically, you bring oh, the site down, you do a differential sense. backup. All you got to do is move the differential, and then you mm-hmm. just restore the differential, and that'll take you 10 minutes, and then you can have 10 True. minutes of downtime. No, that's, that's actually good advice. I'll actually write I'm, – I'm writing that down. Joel actually gave me a piece of good advice for once. Um, the, the only this thing I'm thinking about, one. though, is this, this is going to be I'm, a – I'm putting this – number one, this is the only piece of good advice you ever get me. I'm going to write this down. <laughs> hey, where's, where's my QuickBooks file? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think I thought that advice to keep uh, to, to to keep a set of books in which you record the uh, profits and losses of the company was good advice, but uh, <laughs> uh, you haven't recognized that yet. Who um, needs that? What, <laughs> name one business that does that, Joel. Come on. Um, what are you saying? It doesn't even make sense. Um, yeah. Uh, w- w- during the – there's a DNS changeover, though. That's a problem. Maybe what you could do is you t- even when you do a DNS changeover, there are going to be people that have – their bra- they kept their browser open, and they'll still be going to your old DNS address. So the browser. We're going to take bother. down the site, dude. I mean, that's going to go away for sure. So you're just going to say this site is gone. You have to refresh DNS, or you're oh, not going to be able to see it. How, there's no other way to do it that makes sense. I mean, well, what I usually what I've usually done is just keep it up. Like that's the case. That may be the case where you keep the old web servers up, and they're going to the new SQL. So anybody that's got old DNS, it's still working. It's not mm-hmm. fast because it's got to get SQL from Corvallis. But uh, you know, it still kind of works at least until most of them go away, and then you can bring it down at the old at the old IP address. Well, we don't need like a perfect service level agreement. I mean, we don't really have paying customers. I mean, we <laughs> we have people that pay us to put ads on. But they're gonna you're gonna the trouble is they're gonna they're gonna be hitting their web page and it's not gonna be working because they have an old DNS address. Oh, but you'll be giving right. them it will be working. You'll just be telling them you are going to the wrong place. You have the wrong DNS. Make sure right. to flush your DNS. Oh, yeah. We'll put up a page that says, yeah, exactly. Yes. If you want to know how to flush DNS, you need to go to IT Stack Overflow. That's <laughs> Not right. yet in service. Yes. All rights reserved. Yes. Some so, restrictions may apply. Differential backup, great idea. That will definitely reduce downtime for the switchover, which is the key piece. It's the database piece. That's the limiting factor there. Um, so then uh, minor notes on the servers. So everything's good on the servers. I, I did run into one small problem, which is <laughs> when you put in the second CPU on the, the larger 2U server, the mm-hmm. Lenovo uh, RD120, um, I couldn't get it to work. Like every time I put in the second CPU, it wouldn't boot. And I was did like, you just buy weird. a second CPU at Fry's and you snapped it into the, the socket? Well, it's a Xeon. It's the right CPU. Yeah. So what I found was that there's a voltage regulation module, like a, the voltage circuitry. They don't include it. Like you have to buy... Of VRM, like I guess it comes with the second CPU if you bought the official upgrade module for the server. Yeah, I was just appalled that there's yet another piece that you have to buy that they don't give you just to put a second CPU in. It's ridiculous. So anyway, I found one on eBay and it's coming from Canada, so it should be here hopefully this week. eBay. That was kind of annoying, Mr. And then the other thing I found out, you know, you can't. It is annoying, but I I really can't hold that against Lenovo because they're not doing that to annoy you. You're you are buying a stripped down server and then adding parts to annoy them. 
they're not, you know. <laughs> they, they, this multinational entity is the one that's being annoyed by my activities. <laughs> yes, they're not. No, they, there's some nice engineer sitting there in Lenovo, and he's come up with some completely reasonable reason why a two CPU uh, server needs to have this extra voltage centrifugalator. And and right. it, you know, he doesn't have to. Like, why should he make life easy? You know, why should he stick this thing in every server that's not going to be used? Why does he have to make life easy for the 1% of their customers that are trying to jip Lenovo out of $10 by buying a server without the CPU and then adding their own CPU later? Well, honestly, I don't think they make most of their money from parts. I think they make it from service contracts and things like that. So I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that, but it's That's fair. neither here I mean, nor there. I mean, he's the, 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 they, they, they don't have any obligation to make a server that makes it easy for you to... Uh, add to 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 basically add third party parts later, not in the official channels. Like if you called right. up Lenovo and said, "I want another CPU now," you get the complete kit, right? For like a grand, sure. yeah. yeah. Well, how much is the chip? Uh, not from Lenovo. Oh, I don't know, like three hundred fifty dollars. That is a lot. That's a big difference. I'm exaggerating a little. I think it would be more <laughs> like eight hundred dollars from Lenovo. It would be yeah. like double, basically. Yeah. Anyway. Fair. That's fair. Uh, anyway, anyway, I figured out what it is, and I'm getting it. And the other thing I I found out, which this is kind of Lenovo's fault, is port six. So there's a six drive RAID array. You can configure however you want. There's all different kind of combinations you can run. Yeah. Uh, but that sixth port yeah. is, I think, bad because I've put in multiple good drives into that port, uh-huh. and it you can see it sort of scanning the port and trying to figure out. And eventually, it sees the drive. And I, I found the management software that shows me what's going on. It says, oh, there's a new drive. And then it tries to write to it, and it always fails. Like, always. You can take a good drive from another port, from another server even, put it in that port, it'll do the same thing. It's like, ooh, new drive. I'm excited. And then it's so like, you have oh, the other five, uh, the other five slots filled in? Yeah, the other five slots all work great. Maybe you don't have um, enough I took, uh, maybe you don't, don't have enough uh, power. Uh, it's dual power supply. I mean, it's plugged into the wall and stuff. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to call Lenovo on that and see what's going on. I mean, worst case scenario, I'll have to just ship it as a five-drive array, which is kind of a bummer because RAID 10, we talked about the striping plus mirroring, does require an uh, even number of drives for hopefully obvious reasons. <laughs> just, to, just to amuse um, our listeners, when you finish this whole thing, you yep. should just write down – I don't think you did anything wrong, but I think you should write down how much money you saved by buying the stripped-down server times mm-hmm. uh, versus like the decked-out server and mm-hmm. how many – Dollars an hour you were working for. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, the spent. that's the, I, I agree. That doesn't make sense. But that was no, never no. really my like. It, you I didn't think just, it was going to happen in advance, but also you learned a lot, and so the next time you do it, it'll be easy. Right. Well, the, the learning piece is what I got out of this. I mean, I'm, I'm actually sure. generating value by doing this because yeah. I, I need a. I need to understand this stuff. This is going to be at a data center, so if something goes wrong at the data center, I need to know how to be able to deal with it. Yeah. Um, and then too, I'm just learning about the server model. I need to know this stuff, so. It depends how you look at it. I mean, I agree you could look at this and say that's a horrible business decision. You're a horrible business person. I would never work with you. That's Did fine. You? That's a perfectly valid No, because no, I've always done it your way. I've always done it your way at Fog Creek. Always. But, but I'm telling you, I empathize. People that say what you're doing doesn't make sense, I agree with you. On some level, it doesn't make sense. But yeah. you have to understand what my goals are in doing this and what I'm getting out of it personally mm-hmm. sure. versus as a business. Once you factor that in, it makes sense. But maybe not if you're not me. <laughs> if... Um, uh, so that's, no, in that's the long fair. run, there's a good business case to be made for like building, you know, learning how to do. Although we we learned our lesson, we tried to build our own PCs the first day that Fog Creek existed, and at that time we had consulting clients that would have paid us an unlimited amount. And Michael right. bought uh, all the parts for a PC that wound up costing you know ten dollars less than the PC from Dell would have cost because Dell has their costs down pretty low. And uh, um, spent two days trying to figure out how to put it together. Literally two two full days, beginning you know from eight a.m. to 5 p.m., uh, putting together a PC that never worked very well because he didn't know about the goop. You know, you have to put the... Do you still have to do this? You paint the goop on the CPU, and then you put a, a heat sink on top of the CPU that you glue on there, and if the glue isn't perfect, it doesn't transmit the heat, and the CPU overheats and turns off. Well, wait a minute. This this was this a long time ago. That's this would have been no longer. 2000? Yeah. 99? Yeah. Computers were harder to build back then. I mean, I, I would say, first of all, that building a computer today is so much easier than eight years ago. Well, there were a lot uh, more yeah. sort of widgets that you could get wrong, little tricky things. You don't have to put a heatsink on the CPU yourself anymore? 
Well, you do, but usually they come with ah. pre-applied goop. Oh, okay, fine. So, but he had to order the goop at the last minute and get it in a little bottle. And he's like, what do I do with this? How much do I put on? And it really mattered because that poor computer blue screened all the time because it would overheat. Wow. And eventually yeah, we just threw it a, Yeah. Let, let's get our terminology. It, it, you can call it goop. It is actually thermal compound. That's what Thermal compound. Called. That's a good name. It's just basically to, to cover those microscopic gaps between two pieces of metal so they right. actually conduct So they completely conduct heat, heat at all points, yeah. It actually makes a huge difference. I mean, putting it on oh, yeah, there, yeah. like the numbskull way of doing it, is actually really bad. Like, you get horrible, well, almost CPU, no transmission. You just, you just blue screen. You just, we, we would just get, like, yeah. Yeah. No, but that's just but to me, it. it's fun. I'm sure Michael had fun, although, you know. It's no, because in those days, well, anyway, it, it was, we, we would have got, we, we were charging people $250 an hour, which is hard to believe. And this was a $4,000 extra hit that we took. Right. Uh which would have, you know, right. paid our rent for a month. You know, that was a big deal back then. It was just a really bad decision. So we never again did that particular thing. But I mean, it's fun as, you know, as a hobbyist sort of. And there's certainly no point in buying the expensive, uh, uh, the overpriced uh, hard drives and memory that they try to sell you. Uh, well, certainly if you're getting paid by the hour, that's one right, right. thing you want to be careful about is anything it takes away from your time. But God, I really, not to Did get off ever, on a rant, but yeah. I really dislike the getting paid by the hour model. Like I think I know. a significant step forward in quality of life for any human being is to get off the every hour you work, you make X. It's like a treadmill because it makes you want to work. Like it makes it very hard for you to yeah. not work. A, yeah. And, and I realize that sometimes you can't. Like, there's just certain realities, meaning that you that you're forced to stay in this model. But if if it's within your power to get off that model, you'll have a much happier life, in my opinion. <laughs> also, being on call all hours of day and night—that sucks. Yes. Well, yeah, that's true. So anyway, that's probably enough about servers. So okay, I had to call an open on that and figure. But it's really close. The one user are awesome. They're fully ready. I'm just have some more parts from Newegg coming, and it's looking really good. So. Uh, it's poised to ship out and make the site even faster and pave the way for the IT version and stuff like that. I did want to mention that we finally fixed John Topley's bug, uh, which was paging related. Like our paging algorithm, I know it sounds really trivial. Maybe it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> our paging algorithm had some edge conditions that it would get kind of subtly wrong. <laughs> and it didn't make the site unbrowsable, but it caused a lot of user voice tickets to get generated because, you know, it's yeah, programmed. The problem was you would say next, 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 and occasionally you would get the same thing at the bottom of the page is on the top of the next page because something had been inserted since then? Is that why? No, no, no. That's a different issue. That's oh. a different issue. So that's just stabilizing the list over time, which we had another optimization where we sort of cached that list for a couple minutes, which helped a lot in that regard. So okay. the list is less likely to change on you now, although it can still happen depending yeah, on Yeah, and what would you, you click and stuff yeah. like that. This was an edge condition around number of pages. So the way our algorithm worked was <laughs> it's kind of based on the WordPress algorithm. Let's say you have pages from 1 to 100. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say you're in the middle on page 50. Well, what do you show? Obviously, you show 50, 49, 48. You can show some on the left and the right. Oh, and then we would show the beginning and the end. It we're, would be t- like we're talking one. about the page, the pager link at the bottom of the page. Yeah, the page, the pagination stuff. Mm-hmm. So it would be like one ellipsis, right. 48, 49, 50, 51, 52, ellipsis, 100. 100. That sounds good. Right? Yeah. Yeah. What's so if you ellipsis? think about, okay, we want to show that ellipsis anytime we're saying, okay, we're, there's a lot of pages between this and this. We're not going to show you all those pages because that would be ridiculous and it wouldn't even fit. Yeah. Um, and it worked for the most part, but there were some edge, edge conditions, mostly around when the, pa- the number of pages was almost exactly the same as the pagination limit, which was, I think, five. Um, so I went through and rewrote all that and uh, fixed it. And wow, that is the <laughs> smallest bug you have ever told me about. In the history of our relationship. <laughs> well, it, it's one of those things where it just eventually it started to bother me, too. I was like, okay. ah, it's wrong again. This has been wrong for two months, and it's driving me crazy. And Let's get some Topley. listeners from our questions. Sure. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just take – here, we got a question here from uh, uh, Joe Hopkins. And he sent me an MP3, which I've never listened to, so I have no idea what he's going to say <laughs> or, or what's going to happen when I, when I play this. Um, okay. I guess what's the worst thing that could happen? Profanity. That would be awesome. Play, man. Hey, Joel and Jeff. My name is Joe. I'm a software developer in Philadelphia. I'm also building a startup using a web framework based on the MVC pattern. Jeff, I was wondering what you have found to be the most limiting or annoying aspect of the pattern, as I have also found some. And, Joel, I was wondering if you had any details on the business of software 09 conference. I'm a junior developer, but I was thinking of going. 
Thanks. That was like two whole questions. That was good. That was brief. That's the point. That was good. Yeah. Good job, Joe. Uh, that was a good question. All right. So MVC. The question for MVC, first of all, I don't think we're really good purists when it comes to the MVC pattern because one of the goals of the MVC pattern, I don't know if it's implicit or explicit, is to have very, very unit-testable website where everything that comes out of a controller can ultimately be run sort of unattended in the background, sort of like a class library with no website uh, there, where you just have input and output going into the controllers, which makes it really easy to run unit tests. And i got to be honest with you, we don't <laughs> – our unit testing is very sparse. <laughs> yeah, because see, what I always say is, Yagni, you ain't going to need it. Um, <laughs> When people I'm ask not me a about huge fan of unit testing for the sake of unit testing. Obviously, I believe in quality, um, but I, ju- I just am not convinced that a, like hardcore unit testing is no. always a good way to get there. I'm no, a lot really of times un- you're just writing code that's the- never going to be exercised. Yeah, and I just never gonna matter. I have very mixed feelings about that. Not so all unit in- tested that important, right? So the general question was about MVC and like what we think of the framework, and I just wanted to put a caveat around in terms of the goal being to write really testable websites. I, we're not doing that. Mm-hmm. So I can't, <laughs> can't yeah. really speak to that. Well, I kind of but feel, what, I, I hate to, to, to go off into a deep rant or do you have more to talk about the MVC thing? Well, th- there's just the second half of that, which oh, is okay. I talk about the, the part that I like. Oh yeah. What's the part that you like? So the part that I like is that it, it's a really low fat way to build a website. There's almost no overhead in terms of, Let's say, the simplest case, let's say you want to do a Hello World MVC app, mm-hmm. right? Web Programming 101. Well, what I like about MVC is that this is all done, you can do this almost entirely through class libraries and the code behind. So you would establish a route to your controller, and then you would have a method in your controller called Hello World, and you would literally say, return text plane, Hello World, mm-hmm. right? So you, you, you don't even need a view at that point, which I like, because a lot of the programming that we do... Um, I want really tight control over the layout and output. And if, if you like tight control over the website, MVC is definitely the pattern for you mm-hmm. because it, there's almost nothing getting in your way. Um, there's no abstractions on top of it. It's very fundamental, basic web programming. And that, to me, is probably my favorite thing about it in contrast with web forms, which tries to add all these fat layers to make it you know tasty and delicious and easy, um, but kind of end up getting in your way when you want a specific kind of output on the page. So. Mm-hmm. It's the framework that gets out of your way. <laughs> so if you're a minimalist like me, then you will love it. That's pretty much all I had. Okay. What I was going to say is, uh, you know, I, I always th- there's a there's a dis- debate over the test driven development and should you have unit tests for everything and all that kind of stuff. And uh, um, I, you know, there's so many. Uh, a lot of people write to me after reading the Joel test and they say you should have a thirteenth thing on here, which is unit testing of all code. You have 100% unit tests for all your code. And, you know, that strikes me as just being like a little bit too doctrinaire about something that you may not need. Like the, the, the whole idea of agile programming is not to write, not to do things before you need them, but to kind of page fault them in as needed. And I feel like automated testing of everything, you know, among other things, a lot of times is just not going to help you. In other words, you're, you're, you're going to write an awful lot of unit tests that ensure the code that really is going to work, and you're definitely going to find out if it doesn't work, does actually still work. I don't know. I'm going to get such flame mail from this because I'm not expressing it that well. But I sort of feel like if a team really did have 100% code coverage of their unit tests, um, there'd be a couple of problems. Um, one, they would have spent an awful lot of time writing unit tests, and they wouldn't necessarily be able to pay pay for that that time and the improved quality, I mean, they would have some improved quality. And they would have the ability to change things in their code with the confidence that they don't break anything. But um, but that's it. But the, the real problem with unit tests uh, that I've discovered is that the, the number, the types of changes that you tend to make as code evolves tend to break a constant percentage of your unit tests. Constant percentage. So what that means is sometimes you will make a change to your code that just somehow breaks 10% of your unit tests, and intentionally, because you've changed the design of something. You moved the menu, and now everything that relied on that menu being there, the menu is now elsewhere. And so all of those tests then break, and you have to be able to go in and recreate those tests to reflect the new reality of the code. You have to change what those tests are. Um, so 
the, the end result is that as your project gets bigger and bigger and bigger, if you really have a lot of unit tests, the amount of investment you'll have to make in maintaining those unit tests and keeping them up to date and keeping them passing starts to become disproportional to the amount of benefit that you get out of them uh, relative to the, the code that you're writing. So that right. was, that was, well, that's that whole rant. I sure. Could go on no, for days I, I, I think that's this. a great point. Although I do think that if you're working on like older code bases that don't have a lot of churn, I think to me it's about yeah. churn. Yeah. If you're working on an old code base, it isn't going to have that much churn, and you want to change it where you can't break anything, where if you break anything, it's really, really bad, then it's probably worth your time to go in and develop a bunch of unit tests because you're building scaffolding around this grand old building, right? This classic old building that's not going to change in another 200 years. Yeah. So sure, build a bunch of scaffolding around the building. And they work, you know, they uh, work really well for things like, like a compiler where the design is not going to change because the language is kind of fixed. That's right. Kind of outside, you know, although the unit tests, like I might do more black boxy tests, like unit, sort of like unit tests, but more from the perspective of does this compile all code correctly, you know, with enormous numbers of tests than just sort of the internal, does this particular function work in this particular way at all times? Um, last week I was listening to a, uh, a podcast on Hansel Minutes, um, with uh, Robert Martin talking about solid principles. That's a real easy to Google term, <laughs> solid principles. But um, yes. uh, let's, let me try that. Solid principles, Robert Martin. And it was, uh, you know, it was some ideas for how to design your object uh, oriented, uh, it's object oriented design. And they're calling it agile design, which it really, really, really isn't. But these various principles for how to design your classes and how they should work and so forth. And, when I was listening to them, they all sounded like, to me, extremely bureaucratic programming that came from the mind of somebody that has not written a lot of code, frankly. And uh, here I am ranting against somebody that doesn't have a real chance to respond. But just to give you kind of one example, uh, there's this real belief that if you write – there was this real part of the solid principles is, was that if you write a class – that that class kind of has contracts with all the other classes that it interacts with. And those contracts should be expressed in interfaces. So you shouldn't just interact with a class because that class may change. If you want to, if you have a particular class that you need to use, you should make a custom interface just, just for what you're going to use in that class. And that interface then never has to change. And the interface is the only thing that you have to include. Does that make sense? So you've got some class thing that it can handle. It's got 40 different little methods on it. And I'm only going to use six of them. So I should make an interface with those six things that I can use. And, and the class will implement that interface. And that's my contract with the class that those are the only six things I'm going to use. Right. And to, to, to people that say things like this have just never written a heck of a lot of code. Because what they're doing is spending an enormous amount of time writing a lot of extra code and a lot of verbiage and a lot of files and a million little classes that don't do anything and thousands of little interface classes and a lot of robustness to make each of these classes individually armed to go out into the world alone and do things. And you're not going to need it. It's not going to be a part of the code. It's just not... You're, you're spending a lot of time in advance writing code that is just not going to be relevant. It's not going to be important. It's going to, it could theoretically protect you against things, but how about wait until those things happen before you protect yourself against them? You know, there seems to be a lot of, a lot of where the object oriented design community went. And, uh, if anybody has any strong feelings about this, I encourage you to call in. Um, we'll have the number at the end of the show and, and, and tell me, tell me what you think and tell me if I'm totally off track here. But it seems to me like a lot of the object oriented design principles that you're hearing lately from people like Robert, uh, Martin and Kent Beck and so forth are, have just gone kind of off the deep end into just architecture for architecture's sake. And it doesn't seem like you could actually get any code written if you're spending all your time writing 8 million unit tests and every single dinky little class that you need to, you know, split, an, uh, split a URL into four parts is, is, becomes this engineering project, you know, worthy of like making a bridge where you spend six months, you know, defining 8,000 little interfaces. They've just gone off the deep end. And I don't think these people write very much code if they're coming up with these principles, to be honest, because it just it doesn't even make sense. Well, there are places where that level of testing makes sense. Like if you're really writing, if you're working at Microsoft and you're working on the .NET framework, yeah. I mean, you okay. have a totally different set of obligations to your public. I mean, your code's going to use millions and millions yeah. and millions. In of fact, times. if you're making any kind of API, like where you're, you're, it's like a plug-in API, or you're just trying to expose an API, 
Yes, it is very important to separate things in interfaces and be very, very contractual and, and, and tightly right. engineer that thing. And it's just like you want to put a lot of effort into your user interface. You also want to put a lot of effort into your API that other people are calling. It's just an interface, and you want it to be good and solid and robust, and that's fine. But this idea that every single class in your code, all these classes interacting with each other, should be like so mm-hmm. tightly defined. And there just seemed to me, listening to this interview on Hansel Minutes, there seemed to be and it's just an intense obsession with um, creating lots and lots of little classes that were all, that all did one particular thing for the sole purpose of you know one of the one of the solid principles and i'm I'm totally butchering this, but one of the principles was that you everything in a class you shouldn't have two things in the same class that would be changed for a different reason. Like, you don't want to have an employee class because it's got his name, which might get changed if he gets married, and it's got his salary, which might get changed if he has a a raise. Those have to be two separate classes because they get changed under different circumstances. Or like the, and, and, and you wind up with millions of little tiny little classes like the employee salary class. And it just, it was, it's just idiotic. <laughs> it's like nobody, you can't build software that way. That's not how real software, the way real software works is you create these very, very imperfect things, and they work great. They really do. And then you have a little problem, and you go and you fix the little problem because it's code, and you have an editor, and you edit it. You don't have to, you know, these these classes are not going to go wander off flying in the universe all by themselves and need to work perfectly and unchanged until the end of time. Right. Well, I think code hygiene, I think the longer I do this, the longer I think about this, the less I start to really care about code hygiene issues. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because I think the, the unit of measure that really matters to me is how quickly you can respond to real business needs with your code. Mm-hmm. And by that I mean, how well are you serving the people that are using the code? Mm-hmm. To me, that's what it's all about. Anything that gets in the way of you fixing your code or improving your code in a way that your customers can appreciate is a negative. Mm-hmm. right? So if that means using Ruby or having lots of unit tests, whatever's working for you, do that. But if it's getting in the way, if it becomes you know friction, right. like, oh, I... I'd love to have this great new feature, but God, I have to write a thousand new unit tests. Yeah, that's a negative. Yeah, and um, the worst and the the, wor- the worst thing that happens is that you um, uh, is that you get people that just stop thinking about what they're doing, and they're like, "Well, you know, this is the principle is to always write unit tests, so I'm always going to write unit tests." And then they're just not thinking about how they're spending their time, and they can wind up wasting a lot of it. Yeah, it, it's a balancing act, and I, I don't want to come out and say I'm against testing because I'm really not. Like, I think anything that improves quality is good, but you know, you have a <laughs> there's multiple axes you're working on here. Quality mm-hmm. is just one axis, mm-hmm. and I find, sadly, to be completely honest with everybody listening, quality really doesn't matter that much in the big scheme of things. Like, there was this quote from Frank Zappa where he said, "Nobody gives a crap if we're great musicians," right? <laughs> And it really is true. Like nobody was the people that appreciate Frank Zappa's music aren't going, Oh, that, that guitar was just really off, you know? Uh-huh. They're hearing the whole song. They're hearing the music. They're not really worried whether your code, you know, has the correct object interfaces or if it's developed in a pure way or written in Ruby or P they don't really even care about that stuff. I mean, we do internally, but I don't know, it's it's important to balance that, I think. And I think that gets missed a lot, which is kind of maybe the point you're getting at. And yeah. I, I think over time I'm more and more I've become really lax in my thinking on this because what matters is what you deliver to the customer, you know, and, and how happy the customer is with what you delivered. So there's many, many ways to get there. Yep. You know, do you we mentioned want to do... that Frank Zappa quote, and I couldn't, I just can't, what's the thing with the table? What? This guy was, oh, I know it is. Joe Pine was interviewing Frank, Frank Zappa. Can I find this on the internet? And and uh, he was like this old school interviewer, you know, like the yeah, it's the equivalent of like Ed Sullivan or something. But he's long, oh, I know where you're going with this. I can't remember what the punch. And he said, is, "So does your long hair make you a? You have long hair. Does that make you a woman?" And Frank Zappa said, "Well, you have a wooden leg. Does that make you a table?" <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> that's, that's right. Interviewer I, I had knew a exactly leg. where you were going with that. Yeah, Frank <laughs> Sorry. Zappa was great. Uh, that was just a real. Um, the, the technical term is rat hole. Right. Still, it's a good one, though. I mean, any rat hole with Frank Zappa is uh, a good rat hole. I didn't, I didn't answer the listeners' questions about business software 2009. Um, oh, yeah. We got Do Jeffrey that. Moore um, signed up and Paul Graham so far. It's the, the conference is not until September, uh, November, November. So we got a while, and there will be some great um, speakers, uh, I'm sure. But uh, we haven't uh, lined them all up yet and figured out who they all are. So um, 
uh, watch for announcements. You got you got a while um, till the next business is software conference. It's November in San Francisco. Hey, you can come. Well, here. hey, I can I can actually go. That's awesome. That's right. Um, let's take a couple of questions from the uh, Stack Overflow flow flotsam Stack Overflow. I got one. Yeah, I got one. Do it. Uh, one that came up just randomly that I really enjoyed <laughs> was a guy asking about the marquee tag in a non-ironic way. Like he really <laughs> wanted to do something where marquee was like the solution he had picked. Okay. And he was totally. This is not meant as a joke. As far as I could tell, this was a totally serious question. And he actually asked it in a reasonable way. Like, he gave code samples. It wasn't like, how do I blah, blah, click, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it was a reasonable question formatted in a reasonable way. Um, and, of course, the first answer is, you know, please don't do that. <laughs> don't yeah. use the marquee tag. But I love that we're reaching out to programmers who really don't know. Like, they truly... What's wrong with the Wherever in the world this guy is. Wait, hold on a sec. Which is the... The number is 456815. Uh, yeah, okay, I'm looking at that one. He says, I try to move some box alternate, alternatively within a... Okay, <laughs> Hi, friends. Actually, I tried to move some box alternatively within a box. I had done it, but both the block does not interrupt each other. What should I do? I don't even understand the question. How to make the block cross each other. I try with style position, but it's not working. I have using this code. Please check this and assist me. Thanks. Okay, so English right. is not... But, but it's, still, it's, it's a good question but it's because a legit it illustrates... Question. Anybody searching for Marquis would see this and go, oh, I probably shouldn't use Marquis. No, but, but wait, but stop. But that's not answering his question. Just answer his friggin' question. This is, I'm but that's, downgrading well, it's, this. Wait, wait, wait. This is the very essence of questions that shouldn't be asked. Like, he, he, he needed to ask this question to find out that it's the wrong question. Okay, right? so go like, tell him how to do the thing that he wants. He wants some box alternative within a box. So give him some code to do that without a Marquis. Well, I mean, we gave Don't him the just, This isn't stuff. your chance There's to whine about it. No, linking to jQuery is not giving him the jQuery stuff. Giving the jQuery well, stuff is showing him how well, to write code. he's got to do, wait, 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 wait. I mean, if you're going to ask a question, you have to do some of the work. And he did some of the work with Marquee, right? He played around with the Marquee tag and got certain results. Now he needs to go play with jQuery I'm and get similar results. And then if he has a problem with that, then he will ask another question. Okay, I'm voting so up to the me, question the and I'm is, voting down this snooty answer. I hate, I hate the answer, which is like, don't do what you're doing. That's the solution. Use Linux and you won't have any of these problems. Well, n- not necessarily. Like, uh, Maybe he's got a good I... reason for using Marquee tags. Well, okay. Like Alex... Alex, the guy who runs the Daily WTF, Alex, had a yeah. great blog entry called, uh, I believe it was called Old Shoe or, or Glass Bottle. <laughs> and he characterized a problem where people go into web forums and yes. ask programming questions. And they're like, I need, to, I need to bang this nail into a wall. Should I use this old shoe or should I use a glass bottle? Right. I tried the glass bottle and it kind of breaks the bottle. <laughs> and the shoe doesn't seem really efficient. Right. And, so you, and the people are always like, you shouldn't be putting nails in your walls. <laughs> that's the answer that's perfect oh you're using nails there's your problem it's the wrong type of nail you idiot yeah you know, there's a whole argument about nails and just but say no, the, the point, get a hammer i think it's that's fine it's wait, fine wait. to say you need a hammer but you can't just say you shouldn't be putting nails in your walls that's what's annoying well, that's not really what was said nobody said don't try to animate boxes that would be don't try to put nails in the wall they said if you're going to animate true. boxes why don't you use jQuery? Why don't you use But the hammer? answer is, please don't use the marquee tag. It's non-standard, which is, which is not true. It's in all the browsers. It works fine. I, just, I saw a mar- marquee tag site in Firefox yesterday. Oh, wow. Where it's are there. you going on the internet? Um, there, was, there was this guy that had a... Did you see this? Some, somebody had come up with a single source code file that was compiled as like C, C++, HTML, CSS, SQL. It was like they had using by the by the magic of punctuation. It was a bash script. It was a make file. It was all of those things in one single file. It was pretty awesome. That's, it was a Perl that's script. Kind of, you've kind of blown my mind a little bit. Yeah. How am I going to find this again? I mean, you know, it was just a part of the flotsam of daily life that came across yesterday. Yes. Let me look on well, anyway, Reddit.com. This is my this is my question. I like this question, and I, I like the way that it went through the system. So you can disagree, but I'm right. <laughs> Um, okay, I'm, I'm disagreeing because you know what? Because I'm sick of those. Uh, I'm, I think I might have seen somebody. I might have even asked one where you're asking something and you. you oh, I know what it was. I did. I had a legitimate need for a, a particular kind of sequel. I'll, I'll use that as my question. Let's see. Let's see where my questions are. I said, oh, I'm trying to use after and after insert trigger. This is question 405288. So I got a SQL database and um Every time somebody inserts a particular row that matches a certain criterion, I want to immediately delete it. Okay? Does that okay. make sense? Yeah. Just, yeah. Okay. 
uh, I want to immediately delete that row. Now, so I said, okay, I've got an after insert trigger that I've written that says on, here it is, alter trigger on some table after insert as begin, delete from some table where some condition is met. So basically, every time an insert happens, my trigger runs, and what my trigger does is deletes the row that just got inserted by using a where statement. So actually, it would delete all rows that are like the row that just got inserted that are invalid in the same way. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, I'm, I was asking this for a very, very specific reason. The, 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 the correct answer, my, my question is, like, why isn't my row getting deleted? It looks like in the trigger itself, the row is not yet inserted enough, like it's not committed or something. So the, my delete sweeps out all the other ones, but it doesn't sweep out the one that just got inserted. That was my question. Why is this happening? And admittedly, the, um, the answer uh, that, that, I, that I checked, um, the, like, NXC, whoever he is, actually came up with the right answer and he explained why. But the trouble is that what everybody else said is, oh, you shouldn't be trying to delete a row that you just inserted if it's a bad row. You should just prevent the insertion in the first place using a constraint. And then you can raise an error whenever you... And this would be true if it were in other code that they have imagined. But it is not true in my code. In my situation, I need the row to get inserted and very quickly thereafter be deleted. So which one of these answers was actually... You accepted an answer. Yeah, the one I accepted is is, is the person that just answered my question and said, you can't do this. Uh, sorry. Um, but, uh, but a bunch of people said, no, you shouldn't be doing that. You should be doing, you should be doing it with a different... Uh, 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 with a, with a different trigger. Now, um, the reason I was asking the question wrong is that I know about my situation in a way that the, the listeners don't because it was irrelevant to them, I believe, or to the people that are answering the question. You know, what I right. knew is that the reason I have this trigger in the first place is I don't like triggers. You never need a trigger if you control all the code. But in this mm-hmm. case, I did not control the code that was doing the insert. And right. the insert was spam. It was spam going into a discussion group. And it was important to me that the spammer had actually written a script that was spamming discussion groups with spam. And it was important to me that the spammer believe that his discussion topic had gotten inserted. And in particular, the code that was running, that was doing the insert, which is code that I did not control on the discussion group. I controlled the database, but not the code. Mm-hmm. The, the code couldn't crash. And what the code was doing is it was inserting the new topic and then checking the identity of the just inserted row and using it to do something and return something to the user. So like the next line where I checked the identity, that kind of had to, or, or just the, the get the at at identity thing, that had to execute without a crash. And if I had had a constraint, that would have caused a crash. And the spammer would have seen the crash and the spammer would have known that their spam and they would have just, that I was just checking for their particular kind of spam. And in five minutes, they would work around this. And then I would have some spam that I can't delete using a regular expression instead of some spam that I could delete using a regular expression. Mm-hmm. Saying that makes sense. Anyway, it does. I just don't. Okay. So what's my point? I, I think it's unavoidable. You're asking developers not to ask why, and this is what they're trained to do. From yeah. Birth. And a lot of times and, it's important. A lot of times it's like, hey, you've really gone down the wrong track here. Some guy. I I answered a question where some guy was uh, um, trying to generate VBA code in Excel on the fly in order to mm-hmm. populate a form with some, a bunch of controls. And the way you populate a form with a bunch of controls is not to generate VBA code on the fly, the, the way to do that. And in fact, it was triggering every single virus checker in existence was like, oh, oh, self-modifying code, problem here. The way to do it is just to call the controls.add method, which adds a new control for you. And so, uh, so I showed him how to do that with controls.add. So in, in that case, he really was kind of barking up the wrong tree. But sometimes it is really frustrating. I guess I've been on both sides of this issue now. Something that happens a lot on these Q&A sites is you get some ultra genius who's like, don't use Blink, or their whole problem is that you're using Windows. This is really easy on Apache. Right. Well, it is a fine line. But I, I think if you're going to ask this question, and you, you know that you obviously know how developers' minds work. You should have put in I bold. Be defensive. I understand this is not the right solution, but this is the constraint that I have. So yeah. please. Well, well, that's something that I didn't know. Really... Actually, the truth is sometimes you don't know while you're asking the question. You don't even realize that's why. <laughs> no, it's but always that way. You ask the question, and then a minute later, people start answering. And you're like, oh, wait, 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 wait. No, that's not going to work because. And then you go back and you edit your. Yeah. You, you go back and you edit your question. Right. Uh, but I actually thought that the question, I, I wanted the question to stand because um, even though uh, uh, 
um, it, 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 it would be relevant to somebody to understand how triggers work. Somebody could be having a completely legitimate and equivalent question. Mm-hmm. And the way the triggers work is that if it's an after insert trigger, your rows are not yet inserted. They're in another table somewhere where you can either decide to uh, you know keep them or throw them out. Right. No, I think it's a great point, and I think it illustrates just how hard it is to ask good questions and why. I wish people would mm-hmm. vote up questions that are actually clear more often, mm-hmm. <laughs> because it, it, asking a question is a subtle art. I mean, it's very easy to ask a question that think about, generates yeah. answers when that you don't see, help you. When you see a question, you just have to sort of think about, like, is this a question that's going to help somebody else down the line? Is it well well phrased? Is it the kind of thing that a lot of people are likely to have trouble with? And does it have a good answer? And if so, vote it up because that's that's gonna that's gonna help it you know show up high in right. Google ranks. That's why I'm voting that. your question down because <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't help. Anyway. It's a down. weird scenario. All your questions right now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we are uh, we're I think we're out of time. Yes. Um. Uh. Oh, here we are. Uh. The hotline, if you have any other questions or if you want to comment, you know, I didn't, I didn't really explain well uh, my entire objection to writing solid code, not, not, that bo- not the good book writing solid code, but the Robert Martin S-O-L-I-D principles of object-oriented design uh, code thing or, uh, or, or my objection to massive test-driven design and unit testing of all possible classes. If you have any objections to that, I'd love to hear them, and we should, we should carry on the conversation. The best way to do that is to record a little MP3 and email it to us at podcast at stackoverflow.com or call the hotline 1-646-826-3879 and, and record that. We've got a wiki. It's located at stackoverflow.fogbugs.com, but it's also linked to from the show notes, which are at blog.stackoverflow.com. And the wiki is uh, is there for you to provide a transcript if you've heard anything interesting that you want to talk about uh, or that you think should be transcribed. Or, you know, um, mo- mostly the transcripts are just there for the, the uh, hearing impaired, but also so that the Google and stuff can find interesting things that we've talked about on this podcast. So, so uh, if you would like to contribute to the world... Um, Go to the wiki and uh, transcribe a little part of this podcast. Anything that you particularly liked just has to be, a, you know, it doesn't have to be the whole thing. Right. Wow. Um, I used to be much more fluent at this. Until then, we will uh, see you next week. We, hey, next week we, I might be a little late because I'm going to be in Germany. Um, maybe I'll just try to bring the head, headset with me. Now, God, I, I, now I got three, five, one, two, three, four, five mixers that I would have to take with me in my headset. I will. Um, uh, we may just do next week a little bit late, so we may be we may be late next week. Okay, with we'll the see. show. All right, so see you uh, in the future sometime. Uh, happy inauguration day! I can't say that because it's like for the people listening, it's like a day after inauguration day. Happy post inauguration period. Happy post inauguration period. Bye bye now. <laughs> bye. You've been listening to Stack Overflow with Jeff Atwood and Joel Spolsky. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of the Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. The post-production audio engineer for this program was Joel Spolsky. Our website editor was Jeff Atwood. The series producer is Joel Spolsky. This is Phil Windley. I hope you'll join me next time for another great presentation from Stack Overflow here on IT Conversations.